Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, Wyatt Barmar Pooley is here. Sandy's got a couple of days off. Greg Matzik's here. So is Debbie Lazaga and Aaron Rodgers. I'm, I'm chewing on some. What are those you just gave me? So I just gave you a uh, a blue diamond, bold salt and vinegar mm. almond, and I did it purposefully because I knew it would compromise mm. your ability to talk as soon as we got out of the break. <laughs> it is bold. Uh, they're very good. They are very good. I'm wondering if you ate a lot of them though. If that would if it would be too much. Like oh, I just yeah. had a handful, but if you ate several handfuls, mm, crunchy. They're good. Uh, yeah. They are delicious. They are kind of a taste explosion. Like mm. you, It's instant salivation as soon as you pop one of these in your mouth. That's a good way to put oh, it. Man, are they delicious. And then you finish through it, and it lingers on your tongue. A little it's bit. very nice. A little yeah. bit. Good job. Okay. Uh, all right, what are we tracking today? This is the 3 at 3 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Despite Aaron Rodgers, who is often confused with our producer, Adam Roberts, making his intention to play for the Jets clear <laughs> yesterday, as of right now, he remains a Green Bay Packer. All right, I owe our producer Adam Roberts an apology. So all week long, I've had Aaron Rodgers so much on my mind that several times throughout the week, Adam, I think I've actually called you Aaron. Yes, you have. I'm pretty sure you just did. Today. <laughs> you called him it on the air 30 seconds ago. Uh, yeah, that was the first time I called you the whole name mm-hmm. that Aaron Rodgers is producing the show. Adam, how many MVPs you got? Uh, in radio, actually a few of them. <laughs> if WBAs are MVPs, a couple. Oh, I see. Well, uh, and Aaron... Aaron Rodgers couldn't hold a candle to you producing this show. If he Aww. wants in, he's out. You're our guy. That guy's out of here. Love you, John. Matzik, any news today on Rodgers? No, it's all about compensation right now. So the big question is, who has more leverage? So the Jets don't have the quarterback they want. The Packers do have the quarterback they want. To me, among the things Aaron Rodgers did yesterday was shovel a big pile of leverage into the Packers' corner. Yep. The Packers are in no rush to get this done. If they want trade compensation for this year's draft, maybe there is some incentive to get it done before the draft begins. But the Jets want this thing done pronto. And Aaron has already said he wants to be there. They need to get this done. I think what Aaron did yesterday actually worked in the Packers' favor. I agree with you, and I think the Jets have to be very aggravated. This is just not a good situation for them. No, it's not. I mean, if they land their guy, then they'll ultimately be happy and move forward. But they may have to give up a little more than they intended to. Uh, But there's only one team in the mix right now for Aaron, and that is the Jets. And that that doesn't help the Packers. But clearly, the Jets have one maneuver to make. All right, what's next, Wyatt? An airline's offerings at Milwaukee Mitchell International Airport, they are expanding. So it's Alaska Airlines. Right now, Alaska Airlines only flies to Seattle. They will continue to only fly to Seattle. But right now... You can fly direct on Alaska from Milwaukee to Seattle once a day. Coming up here, they're going to add on several days where you can do two flights a day. There will be two different options. So they're almost doubling the amount of capacity that they have. Here's the lesson here. This is why they did it. They said that last year all their flights from Milwaukee were virtually full. So if you want more flights direct from Milwaukee, you need to fly out of Milwaukee. And it worked here. People didn't drive to Chicago to fly to Seattle. They flew on Alaska Airlines, and now Alaska is adding more flights. If we get uh, even more passengers, maybe one day they'll actually fly to Alaska. That'd be great, actually. I'm going to Alaska on June 29th. So, man, I would love that. I like the way you're thinking. All right, what's the third thing? There's a new sausage in town. (laughs) There is. It's the new hot dog company. So here's the deal. Johnsonville came in, and they do the sausage now at American Family Field. 
But they don't do hot dogs at American Family Field. So we went with a company at American Family Field called Hebrew National. And no more. Now Chicago-based Vienna Beef. Yeah, the same guys who provide the hot dogs at Wrigley Field are going to do the hot dogs. The Chicago company will be providing the hot dogs here. I love this. I love Vienna Beef. I love their hot dogs. I love the product. It's a quality product. They do regular size and jumbo size. So good for us. Chicago-based Vienna Beef is coming to American Family Field. And I, for one, am pretty jazzed about it. Wait, there's going to be no ketchup at that vendor station then, right? You don't put ketchup on a Vienna You don't. Hot dog. Get the ketchup out of here. No. But I so hope there's sports peppers and the green relish. Are they going to have the seeded bun then? The poppy seed bun? I hope so. They need that. Like, is this right? Chicago? Do- like, are they doing Chicago dogs now at American Family Field? That's a very good question. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> I sure hope It is so. a good hot dog. Yeah, no it doubt. is a very good hot dog. All right, that is the 3 at 3. It is 3.15 on WTMJ. Up next is time ticking away for TikTok. There's a new law being proposed in Illinois that would make it illegal for you to have your dog on your lap. When you're driving down the road, they say, of course, it's not good for the dog. It's potentially dangerous for the dog. But they say, more importantly, that it is dangerous for folks who are driving around. A recent AAA survey showed that 31% of drivers with pets say they've been distracted by their pets while driving. And 20% of pet owners say they admit to driving with the pet on their lap and then having been involved in an accident. That's a really big number. 20% admit to driving with their pet on their lap and having been involved in an accident. Hmm. So in Illinois, they say, well, we're not going to have that anymore. We're we're not doing that. This is stupid. Why are we letting people drive around with their pets on their lap? So it will be against the law now. The first offense will be punishable with a $50 fine. So this is one of those things that I hear, and I think to myself, why isn't it a law already? Right. Like, how I, you many know what I mean? exist like this that why isn't that a law already? I, I am anti-dog on lap, and that's not only because I have a 75-pound greyhound, and that would not be comfortable <laughs> for me, uh, but dogs are unpredictable, right? You just, you totally. Don't, you just totally unpredictable. It, even if it's a lap dog, like, it does inhibit your ability to do what I think you might need to do yes. while operating a vehicle. I am dog in the back. Well, and dog must be yep. in the back. Talk about the safety of the dog. You show those stats about accidents. The airbags will deploy right into the dog, which would then go right into you. So it's, Good point. it's doubly unsafe. That's going to be potentially fatal for the dog. But then the dog hits you instead of the soft airbag. It's a 75-pound greyhound, and that's not, not good, good, good for you. It's not good. So uh, I'm in favor of this also. Hey, wait, is this not a law in Wisconsin? I have not looked. I did not look. I did not look either. Don't know. My guess is it's not. Most things aren't against the law in Wisconsin. Okay. I mean, <laughs> You can drink and drive in the first time it's barely against Pretty sure you're allowed to have a live turkey in your house. Um, Yeah. It just seems strange that this is not already a law. I am anti-dog on lap. Yeah, me too. Unless it's on the couch. Uh, Let's switch gears now. Uh, TikTok may be in trouble, not just on government devices, but in general, the Biden administration indicating that they could eventually move to have this banned in the United States. Mike Dobuski is with us from ABC. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. So what's this all about? Good. Yeah. So the this is essentially an ultimatum for TikTok, and it's coming from the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CIFIS. And what they say is essentially, hey, ByteDance, the, the company that owns TikTok, you have to divest. You have to sell off your U.S. operations in TikTok, or we're going to ban you in the United States. 
And just to put this into context, last week we talked about a number of different pieces of legislation that were winding their way through Congress. There's a House bill, there's a Senate bill as well, that would essentially give different government figures more power to limit the reach of foreign apps up to and including banning them. This seemingly is an escalation of that, though Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, kind of backed away from that uh, sort of characterization in the press briefing this afternoon, saying that she's going to leave it to CIFAS, uh to, to make their full assessment, to do their full report uh, before the White House officially weighs in or President Biden officially weighs in. But, yeah, certainly a new chapter in this TikTok story. Hey, Mike, it's Wyatt. Would this, if a ban were to come to pass, would it be a ban on new downloads or would it affect people who have already downloaded the app, the millions of users already using TikTok? So I imagine it would be that second option, although a lot of the details around this remain kind of up in the air, namely how the Biden administration would go about either banning TikTok outright or taking it off of people's phones. Uh, Let's not forget that TikTok is heavily reliant upon app stores, namely Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store for Android phones. So presumably the Biden administration could go through those companies to either uh, remove TikTok from the apps that it's been downloaded on already or to limit new downloads in a certain way. Um, but, yeah, the, the how part of this whole debate, I think, is, is kind of one of the bigger question marks that we just don't know the answer to yet. So TikTok says the ban wouldn't solve the problem at all, that that's the wrong approach mm-hmm. and would not accomplish that. Uh, what do we know about that? Is there any validity to what TikTok's saying? So there's, there's kind of two parts of this. Let's start with Project Texas, which is this undertaking that TikTok has initiated with Oracle, which is an American company. This has been in the works for, for a while now, for a couple of years now. Um, it is a facility down in Texas that's operated by Oracle. It uses Oracle servers. And that is essentially where TikTok's U.S. operations will eventually store and host all of the data that it collects on American users. Uh, that, again, is overseen by an American company, but it's also overseen by a board of national security officials uh, you know, who are American. So that, that's kind of their effort to, to distance themselves from their Chinese parent company. Uh, questions remain as to exactly, you know, how effective that will be or, you know, how truthful they're being about that. I think we're just going to have to wait and see. The other part of this is that this uh, cybersecurity report that we at ABC got our hands on earlier today uh, from a company called FeeRoot, which says that even if you delete TikTok off of your phone, the, the app may have left sort of pebbles behind, uh, c- certain digital Uh, pixels or trackers, as they're known, that could be used to continue to gather data on on certain people's phones uh, and eventually presumably wind its way back to the Chinese government. So that's sort of another thing that's floating around out here. You know, even if we do ban TikTok, you know, what about the the remnants of TikTok that might stick around? Mike Dobuski, ABC News technology reporter. Thank you so much for being with us, Mike. Of course, guys. Take care. Hey, coming up, before we get you to 4 o'clock, of course, the news is straight ahead at the bottom of the hour. Then reckless driving continues to be a problem. Wait until you hear about one guy and how many reckless driving tickets and citations he has and what the city is doing about it. Steve Shamras, TMJ4, with us live coming up at 3.38. And then we dive into school funding. I know it sounds like a dry topic, but if you have kids or grandkids, this could affect their education. A local superintendent Paul Milkey from Sussex Hamilton is with us coming up at 345. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ.
Reckless driving is a real problem in our state, and our friends at TMJ4 have uh, Project Drive Safer. Now they're doing something about it. Steve Shamraz, investigative reporter and anchor at TMJ4, is with us this afternoon. Hey, Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great, John. How are you? Did you pick the Furman upset? That's what I uh, want. No, I did not, but a couple guys in our <laughs> office did, and you knew it because like the screams from their cubicles were deafening. They are smarter than us. Yeah, exactly. Hey, all right, I was going to ask you about basketball. Uh, let's do that first, then. How are you feeling about Marquette tomorrow? You know, I'm superstitious. I did not do a bracket uh, this ah. year because I want Marquette to go deep, and I'm afraid if I pick him to do that on paper <laughs> that I will put the bad voodoo out into the universe. So, um, man, I want to see Marquette get back to the Final Four. Maybe you have the right strategy because here in our office pool, I think half the people took Marquette to win it all because they so badly oh, want boy. them to win it all. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's Yeah, that's I'm, right. uh, I'm, try- I'm trying to work the good voodoo here. Hey, tell us about the project that you guys have been working on. This is really important for our community. Yeah, so back in October, we launched uh, at least a year-long commitment. It's called Project Drive Safer, and we're coming at the the issue of reckless driving from a, a whole bunch of different angles. And we've been working on it for about six months now. And it's the point where we're starting to learn some things. And one of the things that we're learning is the consequences might not be there to stop people's bad behavior. And that's what this is the layer of the onion we are at now. And we're start and we're starting that tonight um, when we look at what happens to somebody who drives repeatedly without a license and gets caught repeatedly without a license. And you're going to meet the number one bad guy for doing this in the city of Milwaukee over the last decade coming up on TMJ4 News at five. So give us just a little bit about this guy, how much money he owes or how many times this has happened. Don't give it all to me, but give me a little so, bit of info on this guy. The, he has more than $12,000 in unpaid fines racked wow. up over the last decade. Uh, his total number of tickets, I believe it's 115 tickets oh. in the last 10 years. Now, but, but this is the thing that we're really drilling down to. He's been ticketed 37 times for driving... Uh, without license plates. I'm, I'm sorry, for driving without a license. He's been ticketed mm-hmm. without plates, too, but 37 times he's been pulled over and not had a license. In the year 2018, 16 times. In one day in 2018, he was pulled over by Milwaukee police twice without a license in the same car. So wow. Milwaukee police stopped him at 11-something in the morning, gave him a ticket, He was able to drive away from that and keep on driving until 9 o'clock that night when Milwaukee police pulled him over again. So the thing we're getting at now is consequences. What is the consequence for being this guy? How is this guy able to exist? Now, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, we all sat down in your studio. Mm -hmm. I was there with former Milwaukee Municipal Judge Derek Mosley, and he said that the solution is for police to call a tow truck and remove that vehicle. Milwaukee police... They do not do that. Milwaukee, if you are if you are pulled over without a license, if you are revoked, if you are suspended, the judge says the vehicle should be towed. Milwaukee police do not do that, period. It just does not happen in the city of Milwaukee. What you're told is you're in a legal parking spot. You need to leave the car in this legal parking spot and have someone else come and get it. But then the officer's gone off to their next call in 10 to 15 minutes after the ticket's written. What's that driver going to do? Well, I've seen it myself. This all started uh, 12 years ago. I did a couple of ride-alongs, one with Milwaukee police and one with the sheriff's office. 
and Milwaukee police were that the, the line I heard was, I don't want to see this car move. And there's a little wink wink there when when that is said. And I asked the officer uh, who I was working with that day, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, I don't have the time to sit here and wait for a tow truck. It's going to take an hour for that to happen. So this is how we do it. A couple of weeks later, I'm out with Milwaukee County Sheriff uh, deputy. It's in the Christmas season. It was their booze and belts campaign yep. that Sheriff Clark was running back in the day. Um, we spent half that shift waiting for tow trucks. And that's still the policy. Milwaukee County Sheriff will tow you. If you don't have insurance when you're pulled over, you get towed by Milwaukee County Sheriff because legally you cannot drive that vehicle without insurance. Milwaukee police, I don't want to see that vehicle move. And then it's up to the driver on an honor system to do the right thing. So check out the story. It's a powerful story, part of an important campaign. It's tonight at 5 on TMJ4. Steve, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having us. It is 344 at WTMJ. we got a big problem with school funding in our state and what we need to do about it. Not enough money for kids. Schools say they have unfunded mandates that just don't work anymore and impacts you if you've got a kid or a grandkid or a neighbor that is in school. Paul Milkey is the superintendent of the Sussex-Hamilton School District. I discussed it with him and started by asking him to explain how funding for our schools works. We actually have to go back to 1993 mm-hmm. uh, when, when some limits went in. So revenue limits were put in to control um, how much schools were, were spending. And the thing that happened then, uh, let's just say there was three districts. One was spending at a high level, one was spending at a medium level, and one was spending at a lower level. Whatever you were spending in that year, you got locked into and that became your base. Immediately, there's an equity uh, across the state. And uh, the district I'm in, Hamilton, is one of the lowest uh, spending or lowest funded, however you want to look at it, districts in Waukesha County. So that makes it a a challenge for us. Basically, since 93, the state budget then comes in and they allocate how much more money they're going to give to schools. And funding is basically based on the your enrollment so the higher your enrollment the more money that you get and that's based on a three-year rolling average so if you are a declining enrollment district that gets offset and they kind of slow that uh, amount down a little bit if you are an increasing enrollment district like hamilton is we actually if we had 110 new students this year that came in we actually only got funded for a third of those because that figured in for a third of our average so the basics basically are um the state sets the funding at whatever you're at. All the districts are at a different level, and that's based, um, and your funding comes based on the number of students that you have in your district. So when we say that the state um, has, the last two years, the state froze funding um, for us, uh, and the rationale um, made some sense in that, that there was a lot of relief money that was coming in for COVID that schools were supposed to take that that money and provide extra services. So, for example, in my district, we provided a virtual option uh, that was expensive. Uh, We had to hire um, a lot of extra staff, had to put some things in place so we could offer a virtual option. And then also there's the extra expenses for for all the COVID uh, protocols that you had to put in, in place for that. But that that funding uh, was also different as well. So when schools got their funding, that was allocated by the federal government. They made the decision that whatever level your free and reduced population was at, so your economically disadvantaged students, the higher that number was, the more money that you received. 
So for Hamilton, we don't have a high uh, population of around 13% uh, that are fr free and reduced lunch rate. That means that we got less money. So at Hamilton, the, the state average was about $3,000 per student that came in. Hamilton got $1,000 uh, wow. per student. And there were some districts that got over $10,000 per student. You can look at some of the bigger districts or some of the other districts that have a higher poverty level and be like, wow, you got all that money to spend. And it's like, that wasn't the same for all of the, the districts. So the rationale for freezing the funding was we're going we're gonna to give you a 0% increase these last two years because you have all this funding. Well, like for my district, that wasn't the case. We used that money to do all the extra things that I just said, and then we had to use that money to kind of fill in what we would have typically saw from an increase. So in a time of really high inflation, we've got frozen for the last two years. How, how do we fix it? It seems like there's not a one-size-fits-all fix. Yeah, that, that's a big challenge because you could come in and, and um, there'd be winners and losers <laughs> any way you look at doing it, right? So if they tried to come in, I don't think there's an easy fix uh, uh, for that, but there's got to has to be a way that can do some things to make it a little bit more equitable for how things are adjusted. There was a couple of years ago, there was a blue ribbon commission that was put together that looked at some things and gave some recommendations to the legislature about how they could do things a little bit different. But you're talking, if you really want to fix it and address it, you're talking about a massive overhaul uh, of a system. It, it needs to be looked at, really. Some things need to be fixed. If we don't come up with some plan, or at least begin to institute some sort of plan, what are the potential damages that happen? Bigger class sizes, losing teachers because we can't afford to pay them? What's the worst case scenario about what happens here? So you're hearing some things talking about school funding, and I think in, in the past couple years, schools have gotten a uh, $100 or $200 increase somewhere in there, um, usually per student, right, uh, that would go up. So the last two years, they froze it when we're at a really high inflation rate. So when you start doing that, schools have to start making choices. A lot of that is higher class sizes because you're going to have less staff. Some of the programming that we offer would also have to be changed. Hamilton was fortunate enough to pass a referendum in 2018. We have an applied engineering program that has just got recognized as the program of the year at our high school level and also at our middle school levels for the opportunities that they're providing kids. So that's trades. That's things going in there, everything from engineers to welding to construction to graphics. The kids are getting great opportunities to go do that. But that's also an expensive class to, to run. So, for example, we just had to replace laptops in that program, which is four carts of laptops, so kids share them, anybody who goes through there. That's $160,000. If we look at some of the firewall and some of um, we just had to replace, that's $400,000. The Wi-Fi we had to re recently replace because it's that end of life and we always push our stuff past end of life. That's another $450,000. I'm almost at a million dollars for funding just the technology in the district or one of the programs that we have. So if the funding doesn't get fixed, all of a sudden maybe we can't. We have to limit the number of kids that are going out there. That means there's less kids that are getting experience that could go out into the trades. That means there's less opportunities for those kids to prepare to go out into the world. We're working with our community. Uh, we've designed our programs based on what our businesses have said, what our parents have wanted, what our kids have said that they're interested in. If we don't get funding, we're going to have to um, start cutting some of those programs. I mean, there's no, other, there's no other way to do it. I'm on some committees with businesses, all business leaders, and their answer is, here's how we're handling the inflation. We're just increasing prices. Schools don't have that option. We can't say, hey, we're going to increase the price of our products so we can offset some of those, those things. If they could even just tie increases for schools to inflationary, we'll figure out how to make it, make it work if it was tied to inflation. 
And the other thing I think that's important for, uh, for people to know is sometimes when they say they put money into education, uh, you'll see some headlines the last time they did it say, hey, we put a record amount of money uh, into education. That's not necessarily spendable dollars. And what happens is um, because the formula is kind of complicated, you can put more money in one area and then it ends up being a tax cut for residents of the district, mm-hmm. but the district actually doesn't see that money. Paul Milkey is the superintendent of the Sussex Hamilton School District. I know it's a complicated subject. It is an important subject. We've got to get this figured out. And there's not an easy solution. It's not you check one box. But we've got to make the commitment to get this figured out. And I'm asking you to make the commitment to reach out to your legislator, your state senator or assembly person, and ask them to figure this out. It's too important not to get this right. It is 356 at WTMJ.